Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today's show is all about unexpected things that can happen and the amazing people that you meet when you answer the call to adventure and you show up ready to go. Because that's exactly what happened to me on a recent trip to Tanzania, Africa to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So my climbing partners and I have already recapped that experience on a previous episode of this podcast. But there's something that I didn't share about a synchronicity that happened and somebody that I met on that trip. And that person is Macon Dunnigan, and he is our guest today. Macon is the Honorary Tanzanian Ambassador of Tourism to the United States. He is a true adventurer. And last month, he completed his 46th summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. He spent the last 22 years of his life advocating for Mount Kilimanjaro and Tanzanian tourism. He is a published author of a book called Sons of Kilimanjaro. And while we met thousands of miles away in Tanzania, Africa, it turns out that Macon and I live three miles apart in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is my honor and privilege to have him with us today. Macon, welcome to the campfire. Scott, thank you very much. What a what a great uh, honor it was really for meeting you also. Yeah, and so Macon, I can't wait to hear just so much about your story and your adventures and, and everything Tanzania and Mount Kilimanjaro, but I, I have to set some context for the listeners because really, I, I'm flying to Africa to climb Mount Kilimanjaro for the very first time, and you know, I've I've never been, um, I've been to a few European countries, but, but Africa was a big deal for me. And, you know, I had a lot of anxiety and, and, you know, some concerns about heading over there and, you know, just all, all kinds of stuff going on. And I show up at the airport, uh, the American Airlines counter, and the airport wasn't really that busy that day. And the, the really, really nice gate agent behind the, behind the counter said to me, she could see I had all this gear and she said, oh, well, where are you going? And I said, Mount Kilimanjaro. And I, we kind of had this conversation going and she got so excited and she said, oh, there's a man that lives here in Charlotte and he has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro like 40 something times. And he, this man is just amazing. And Oh, what is his name? I can't remember what his name was. And she asked, she had three or four different people that were just standing around and she asked everyone, Hey, do you remember what his name was? And she got so excited about it and pulled her phone out and started going through Facebook because she wanted to tell me about this person. And she found you and she found your post and she said, here he is right here, Macon Dunnigan. And I said, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. And, you know, Macon, at that point, I didn't know who, who you were and, and I didn't know of you. And, you know, really, I just wanted to get on the airplane. So I just this experience was kind of like, OK, what, what's happening here? Well, lo and behold, 48 hours later, I arrive at the Springlands Hotel in Tanzania and my friend Carl and I show up at the pool there and across on the other side is this gentleman laying and getting some sun and and my friend Carl says hey hello where are you from and 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 it's you and and you say Charlotte North Carolina and I say get out of here and uh, so we said what are you doing here well I just climbed Kilimanjaro for the 46th time and I just my <laughs> face just dropped like 
what is your name? And of course you said Macon Dunnigan and the rest yes. is just, it's history from there. Of course it is. Then we got into some conversation about mutual friends that we have that are also actually a friend of this podcast, Mr. Bill Barty, and we have him in common. So just Absolutely. some incredible synchronicity making, and it's just such a, such an honor to be able to talk to you today. Well, fantastic. It's an honor to talk to you also. Oh man. Can, can we just jump right in and just go like, can we go back to that first time that you ever climbed Kilimanjaro? Like what brought you there that first time? Well, my, my late wife and I had won two tickets on South African Airways on an airline Christmas drawing. And um, so, but the deal was that I had to take this vacation in a month. Wow. And so we got together and I said, you know what, I'm getting ready to turn 40 years old. While we're there, I'm just going to go on because it said that in the reading the thing about the ticket that you could have an add-on out of Cape Town. And I said, well, I think since I'm turning 40, I'm, I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And she just went, are you insane? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro while I'm, while I'm over there. Might as well do it. And I got in touch with Zara Tours. I, I ended up doing a money transfer. It took three days to do a money transfer to Tanzania at the time. Wow. And uh, went over there and um, and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and just did it. First time in a sleeping bag, first time in a tent, first time hiking, first time doing anything was my first time was on Kilimanjaro. What called you to that? Like, so obviously you won the vacation, but what was it about Kilimanjaro? Like, why did you, and you obviously surprised your wife. Like, what was the call? The the call was, uh, you know, and I always had had, had just a desire to go to Africa. I'm not sure what it was. I'd never been there before. And I just decided that they, this was the, the time, the one and only time at that time that I would climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And I said, yeah, you know what, let's do it. And she goes, yeah, you know what? We'd only been married for a year at the time, but not even, yeah, just about a year when, when we went over there to climb Kilimanjaro, when I went over to climb Kilimanjaro, she had just gotten a job with Northwestern Mutual here in Charlotte and had to come straight back home from, from our vacation in uh, Cape Town. And, but I went on up to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and did it. <laughs> wow. Had you climbed any other mountains before that experience? Crowders. Crowders Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Very familiar. Um, oh, yes. You know, probably about the best um, training mountain that we have here in Charlotte. That's about 1,500 feet compared to Kilimanjaro's 20,000. So, yeah, it, uh, that's that's awesome. So what was life like for you? What did life look like before you climbed Kilimanjaro, Your you know, your day job? I was a baggage handler for American Airlines. No, for U.S. Air mm -hmm. at the time. Yep. You hadn't gone to American Airlines yet. I was just a baggage handler, just newly married uh, to a Canadian who I'd met in Fiji uh, two years before and um, just uh, just out there slinging luggage and um, and had never written a book, had never done anything. had never really traveled that much. I traveled some, but not, not to Africa. And so I was just a just a regular Joe baggage handler for American Airlines. Well, you know, I, I love to hear that because at the beginning of this podcast in our intro, you heard that this whole podcast is about ordinary people telling their stories of extraordinary adventure. And that that trip, it sets you off on a whole, you know, another 22 years of, of adventure. And that's the story that I really want to get into. But what happened to you on that first climb of Mount Kilimanjaro that that sort of set you off on this this path that followed? 
Well, you know, I was pretty disciplined. And what I did was I, I didn't know anything about climbing Kilimanjaro. But what I did know was if I listened to the people around me who did know something about it, then I would probably do pretty well. And so that's what I did. I just put my faith into Joseph Mela and the three other fellows who had big mountain climbing experience. And I just did what they said. And uh, again, walking slowly, uh, drinking lots of water. This is before the Diamox days. This is when you just went up there and climbed Kilimanjaro with water and aspirin. And uh, it was just, um, I just, I, again, I just listened to the people who knew what was going on on Kilimanjaro. And because of that, I summited the first time. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And and that was one of the big takeaways I think we had from our climb too, was to trust our guides. And I think that like that, that whole experience of trusting the guides is certainly what helped us get up there too. But we also had the benefit of getting to talk to Macon Dunnigan poolside uh, to get your take on it before we went up the mountain. And I, you know, I certainly had your voice in my head and some of the things that you shared with me at the pool that, that helped me get up there. So it's kind of cool that, you know, that transition that you make from um, being a first timer to, to then educating other people and helping other people. So, right. So you got to the summit that very first time, like, can you share, do you remember your, like the feelings that you had when you got to the summit the first time? I, I couldn't, I could not believe it. I really couldn't. I mean, I was there and, but again, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of ice around me at the time. Uh, this was 1999 and there was a lot of ice around and uh, the, the ice cap around the, the Huru Peak and I'm just taking it all in and again, not really knowing what I, I was doing. You know, I went up there and I listened to the guides and did what I was supposed to do and went to Gelman's and then over to Stella Point from Stella Point, went on up to Uhuru Peak. And um, but yeah, just coming back from the whole thing was a blur now um, and co uh, coming back down to Kibo. And uh, then. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a blur now, uh, but I know I did it. And somewhere around here, there's a picture of me <laughs> on top of Kilimanjaro, but yeah. I, I don't know where it is. Well, one of the things that you said to me poolside was um, that once you get the first one out of the way, then you can enjoy it the next time because all the pressure is gone. I remember you saying that to me is like, you know, there's pressure that first time. And then, uh, you know, all the uh, subsequent climbs, I think that you've had, you've had the ability to really kind of relax and, and enjoy it. But I guess what I'm wondering is, so when you came down the mountain that first time, did you know right away you were coming back? No. Did not. Um, I, the only time I knew I had an idea that I was coming back because, you know, I was newly married at the time. Yeah. And so I had a wife and, and had never been married before at, at 40 years of age. And so uh, uh, I came down and, and 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 Michelle greeted me at the airport. She goes, you look great. I mean, you really look fantastic. And she goes, if you want to climb Kilimanjaro, you can again. And I said, well, I'm, I might just do that. And then um the opportunity came up um, about um, about six months later for me to go back with a friend of mine from work and climb Kilimanjaro, and I did it and did the Morangu route again. Um, didn't know anything different, just climbed the Morangu route and um, and did it again over uh, uh, five days. Yeah. So for most people, I mean, a climb like this, it's a bucket list item. You do it once and that, you know, then you move on. But like what triggered you going back a second time? 
Well, just the ability to be there and see something different. Because I went on a safari the second time. Okay. Uh, just didn't do Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro and went on safari and um, was able to experience that and was able to tell more people back in Charlotte what the safari situation was about on top of Kilimanjaro. And then um, got, my, got my wife, uh, Michelle, at the time to, to come over with me again just to go on safari. And not to climb Killy, but just to go over there and see what I was doing. Yeah. So, I mean, on the first trip, you didn't do the safari the first time. Was that sort of inspiration for you? And you kind of saw some things that you wanted to go back and check out a second time? Right, right, right. You know, again, the great thing about Tanzania is you can always come back and do it again and, and yeah. see something different. You know, every one of my 46 Kilimanjaro climbs, never have they been the same. They've always been completely different. And just like safaris, the same thing is that... Um, when you go in safari, uh, it's it's never the same. It's always different, even after 16 safaris now that I've been on. Yeah, it's amazing. So so now we've we've kind of gotten to that second climb. And right. so, you know, 44 more climbs have followed. Like, how does that even happen? I, I guess it, it's just kind of the the desire to be back over there and to be on Kilimanjaro and to be... Um, just that's what I was using my vacation time from uh, U.S. Air was for, to go over and climb Kilimanjaro. And uh, I just that was my thing. I just started enjoying being on the mountain and going over to Africa. And um, that became it. You know, some guys play golf. Other guys, yeah. you know, you know, play tennis, whatever. And I, I climbed Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Making what, what, there's gotta be something that about that mountain that pulls you over there. Like what, what is that thing inside of you that pulls you to that mountain? What is it that calls like, what are like kind of, what are the unique experiences that you have over there that keeps you coming back? Well, it's kind of like football in a lot of ways. When I played it in high school, it's like, you got to get through the pain that, you know, and there is pain on Kilimanjaro. Yeah. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But it's one of those things where you have to suck it up and just go for it. And uh, you know that there's one part that's going to be hard, but it's so rewarding. Getting to Gelman's, getting to Stella, getting to Uhuru Peak is just the most rewarding thing because you work so hard of it. You know, I've, I've always said that climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is the hardest mental physical challenge you will ever voluntarily ever, ever do in your life. Yes. And people come up and go, well, wait, what about a, what about a marathon? And I said, well, think about a marathon. If you have a problem, you can just walk off yep. and you're fine. The thing about Kilimanjaro is you got to turn around at Uhuru Peak and have enough in your tank to come back down the mountain. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it absolutely. And, you know, having it so fresh in my mind now, I mean, the, the mental and physical challenge, you know, I, I've done it once. And so, you know, will I go back? I think I would love the opportunity to at some point. I think that would be great. And I, I guess I wonder what the mental challenge is like the second time, the third time, like mentally, does it get easier or, or, or does it continue to be difficult and challenging every time you do it? It's, it's always difficult. It's always challenging. But now that I know the Ranga route so, so well, I've, I, you know, I've done all seven routes up Kilimanjaro and I've just kind of fallen in love with the Ranga route, just the beauty of the route. And um, it's just, I know what the route, I know what's going to happen. I know how many, how, how many hours from one uh, camp to the next camp. Uh, I know what time we have to leave Kibo to get to Gelman's and, and what time we need to leave Gelman's to get to Stella and Stella to get to Huru Peak. I've kind of got it laid out, but I just know that there's going to be a really tough time between 
uh, Kibo and Gelman's, and it's just it's rewarding to get there and seeing the sun coming up behind uh, Mount Monza, and yeah. to just uh, be there and to see that, and then the sun once you get up there gives you a little bit of warmth to say, okay, yeah, I'm here. Let's go on over. Let's go. Let's go take off. Let's go into Stella and let's go into Nauru Peak. And it's that sun coming up. It gives you that just that. You know, I walked through the night to experience this, and now the sun's up and it's time to go. I can see Uhuru Peak from Gelman's and I want to get there. It, it really is. I remember turning around and looking at the horizon as we got close to Stella Point and it just uh, like the day that we came up, the horizon looked like it was on fire and it was yes. just so, so beautiful. And one of the things that we've talked about with a lot of different guests on this podcast in particular is I'm a big fan of the word awe. And uh, in the Google version of the dictionary, awe is defined as a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. And uh, I can tell you, I felt that immensely when I got up to the summit. And I'm just curious if you've had those kinds of awe experiences when, when you were up there. Oh, you were, Scott, you're so absolutely right, man. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've walked out of Springlands Hotel for them to see Kilimanjaro for the very first time. And when they see it and their mouth just drops, it's the same experience I have every time I look at that mountain. It's so much more of respect for the mountain and all because I know that it can be a it can be a huge challenge with rain or snow or or just an inner challenge but just the respect and awe that I have for the mountain and other people have for it also yeah and that's some of the reward right it's that it's oh, that yeah. respect and I, you know it raises a good point though over 22 years and, and 46 different climbs can you talk a little bit about some of the different conditions that you've climbed in <laughs> um, can I ever? I mean, I've climbed in rain. I mean, I, here's one thing I've done a hundred degree temperature swing. We left uh, uh, Springlands Hotel and it was a hundred degrees. And when we got to, uh, when I got to the top of Huru Peak, it was negative 10. Yeah. So over a hundred degree temperature swing, I've climbed in snow, ice, a sleet, rain. Um, pouring rain um uh oh one time the 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 wind blew so hard it blew the the um the cooking tent and the dining tent wow. completely off the mountain it just blew it completely away and we had to we had to come down all the way from a peak and come all the way back to springlands in, a, in one day that's how bad it was and everybody was covered with volcanic dust because wow. the wind blew so yeah. badly during the night yeah. But yeah, I've just been, I've been so cold and so sometimes it's been nice and warm, but you know, most of the time that what I've really gotten to me is being able to look up and see the stars when I'm climbing Kilimanjaro. And if you climb in a new moon, um, then you, uh, you don't see, you, you see the stars and it's beautiful. Yeah, we, we, uh, our summit was on full moon night. So it was kind of interesting because we didn't actually even, you know, you're climbing in the dark, but we didn't even need our headlamps because the, the moon was right. Right. perfectly clear night. Um, really beautiful. So what's, what is it like for you? Like the, the very first time when you're going, it, it's your first time and you kind of don't know what to expect, you know, flash forward to, you know, the 40th climb and obviously you're, I'm sure you're with other people and you're probably with other first timers. What is it like for somebody that's got the level of experience that you do on that mountain to accompany first timers up the mountain? Well, I'm there to, you know, I'll leave, I'll, I'll take the, a lot of the ambiguity out 
yeah. you know, the, the stuff that's not true about climbing Kilimanjaro, but I leave the mystery in, you know, I let them find out what it's like, you know, on their own, um, because it's, it's their own adventure. And I don't want to give a lot, all of that away to them, but I just, you know, I just make sure that they go slowly and um, that they got the right equipment to have on the mountain, especially a really good sleeping bag. And they understand that they're going to need uh, headlamps and hiking poles. And now, of course, understanding what Diamox is all about. It's just it's just giving that information to them. But, you know, I leave a lot of it out for them to figure out. You know, I don't tell them everything. Yeah. Good. So for listeners that aren't sure, what, tell us tell us what the Diamox is for. Oh, Diamox is acetosolamide. It's a drug that's been around since the 50s. They used to use it for, or still do use it, for glaucoma. And what they found is these people who went out to Denver, Colorado, and, and snow-skied with this, they, for some reason, didn't get altitude sickness. And what it does is it acidifies your blood, so it takes in more oxygen. And kind of a disclaimer, I am not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I have been taking Diamox now for almost, oh, my word, uh, 20 years now. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a, it's a common thing there. It's, a, it's um, the only recreational drug that I take. <laughs> I love it. There you go. So um, again, so 20 years of climbing, one thing I, you, you had made a comment about being up at Uhuru Peak um, that first time and being surrounded by ice caps. What environmentally, what changes have you noticed on the mountain over 22 years? Oh, oh I've, I've definitely seen a reduction in the ice caps over the, over the years, but, but, you know, I've been up there, Oh, when when the ice was so thick all the way up to Uhuru Peak, I mean, all the way up that you had to wear uh, yak tracks to get on the ice. I mean, there was like three feet of ice below yeah. us. And uh, but then again, I've been up there when there's been no ice whatsoever and no snow. Um, it just depends. It's, you know, Kilimanjaro is a fickle thing. You know, it just it's it's so huge that it, it creates its own weather system. So you're never really sure what kind of, even though you're climbing in the dry season, which I do in February and July, it can rain and it can snow. It just, it's all up to Kilimanjaro and what it wants to do. Yeah. So have you noticed any sort of consistent weather pattern changes over the 22 years or has it been kind of erratic? It's kind of erratic. You know, usually back in the day, we, we would climb in January and February and be pretty sure that it wouldn't rain on us at all. But you know, for, for a while there, the, the wind would blow so hard off of Kilimanjaro that you, there would actually be, it'd whip up um, ice cloud over Kilimanjaro. And it was just wow. crazy. You could see it from Springlands Hotel and knowing that, that, that the wind was really howling up there at the top. Yeah. So what, what are like some of the changes that have, that you've seen over 22 years in terms of like the climb itself, the technology, how have the routes changed? Oh, oh, oh the, the technology. Well, the routes, you know, I'd started out with Morangu and then went to Machami then did Shiro Lomosho, then came back and did Umwe. And uh, finally they said, Hey, you need to go in the Rongai route, which I did, but they've changed those routes a little, around a little bit. Uh, the Rongai route's been changed. Uh, so you're not going through the uh, snow-capped village there. Um, you're going up further and um, it's, it's actually shortened the route by about four hours, but yeah, the other routes of the, the huts have changed on the Morangu route. The, um, the technology's changed. Uh, everybody used to use sat phones when I was there. Of course, mm-hmm. I couldn't afford a sat phone, but other people had sat phones. But now you can use your cell phone and call back. Um, uh, internet's changed a lot. But the technology from the number one thing 
that stopped people from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro back in the, the back in the early 2000s was blisters from your boot, believe it or not. Wow, that was yeah. the number one thing that got people not to summit Kilimanjaro because their feet were so wrecked by the boots. But now, I mean, as you know, I completely fell in love with the Solomon uh, uh, Quest 4s uh, that I used on this one. Uh, just amazing. I can't imagine how many more, uh, uh, how my toes would have been if I'd started out with those Solomons back 20 years ago. But before that, it was just leather boots that we took up Kilimanjaro. Yeah, a good pair of boots is important. Do you use trekking poles? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, trekking poles are absolutely a necessity for me. Um, I just know that how much they take uh, pressure off my knees and my hips. And I just have been using them forever. And I just, uh, especially coming down, going up, well, yes, but coming down, especially that scree field off of, uh, even if it's off of Stella, or uh, Gelman's, it's still coming down that. You're going to need those uh, hiking poles to get down the scree. Yeah. And Macon, um, for you, you were 40 when you started this journey. It's been 22 years. How, how has this climb changed for you as you've, as you've gotten older? Well, you know, I've, I've gone through two rotator cuff surgeries and a hip uh, replacement. The climb in December that we did was kind of a shakedown for me personally, just to see how I would react. You know, I had 115 people with me climbing. Wow. I uh, was leading a group of Tanzanians who would celebrate the 60th anniversary of Tanzanian independence. And Edwin and I said, hey, we're going to do this and, and we're going to see how that hip works on climbing Kilimanjaro. And, you know, and of course, the two shoulder uh, uh, rotator cuff surgeries. And, and believe it or not, did not have one ounce of problem climbing or coming down. And then again, climbed again in uh, February. And again, had no problems at all. Um, it's it's just that I understand the importance of going slowly and drinking water and and acclimating. Um, and I try to pass that point on to my other climbers. Yeah, and um, you know, so that's those fundamentals, like you said, going slowly, staying hydrated, staying well fed, and frankly, probably the motion is good for the joints, right? The movement. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely. I exercise every afternoon. Yeah. Uh, I, I work out every afternoon just to keep just keep the, the joints going. You know, I don't want to, yeah. uh, again, I'm going back to climb Killy again in uh, June and then again in July this year. So uh, uh, I got to keep uh, everything um, greased up. <laughs> yeah. So you're, so you're approaching 50. Is that, is that something that you're excited about? 50 climbs? Um, is that, is that something that you're planning? Is there not really, not yet. Uh, I got to get through 40, 47 and 48. Uh, 49 will be in February of 2023. So, um, so yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. 49. And then, so 50 would be my climb and my first climb in summer, 2023. Yeah. So it'll be, I think, uh, I think, I think I have a couple of friends who want to be with me when I do 50. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. So this whole 22 year journey of, and it's a, pa it's a passion for you. This is something that you just really love. And uh, so 22 years of climbing Kilimanjaro, a whole lot of things have happened to you. You are now the, um, the ambassador to Tanzania for the United States for tourism. Like, how does that happen? You know, when I set the record climbing Kilimanjaro, I said it does, gosh, what were your, how many years ago? It's 12 years ago now. Hard to imagine. 
Um, I, I climbed Killy four times in 28 days and, and everybody asked, well, how hard was that to climb Kilimanjaro four times in 28 days? And I said, I lost 33 pounds in 28 days. That's how hard it was. And once they, they saw that I could, uh, could talk to people in crowds and, and, and relay the information about Tanzania, they asked me to do this, to be the honorary Tanzanian tourism ambassador to the United States. And uh, I gratefully and freely do this for the people of Tanzania. So what does that look like for you when the, the um, ambassador for tourism for uh, Tanzania? What, what does that look like? What does that look like day to day? What does that involve? Uh, just answering questions from people all over the country. Uh, I just, you know, I, I, I check my emails from Tanzania at 430 in the morning and then um, from there, uh, just uh, uh, just talk to people from every every walk of life in North Car- North America and Canada about climbing Kilimanjaro. Usually, it's groups who want to climb Kilimanjaro for fundraising, and I'm not usually a part of that. I just kind of guide them through the whole situation. You know, I can't be with every group climbing Kilimanjaro, but I can guide them in the right direction and and you know show them how to do a fundraiser. But again, it, I do that freely. I do it on my own time. Um, I, it's a, it's a, a hobby that's become a passion. And I just want to make sure that people get um, the best experience possible out of climbing Kilimanjaro. And then going on safari and Zanzibar, you, you can't just, just talk about Kilimanjaro because you have to bring on Tanzania and Zanzibar. And you have to um, uh, you know, let people know that they're two together. You know, it's not Tanganyika and, and in Zanzibar anymore, it's Tanzania. Yeah. So, so did the tourism industry there really? I think you said they started paying attention to you when you did that four climbs in twenty eight days. Is that is that kind of when it all triggered and all? That's all what that's what happened. Part? Yes. Yeah. It's it's really wild. Are you having fun doing it? It seems like you're traveling all over the place. Yes, I do. I travel, and but I I do it for fun. It's yeah. just one of those things that I like to do, and and um, just enjoy um, uh, freely giving my advice and, and answering questions uh, about from gear to diamox to routes to everything. But again, it's just a, it's just a passion that I have and I just want to put people on the right path um, <laughs> or the right trail <laughs> uh, to, to get them up Kilimanjaro and go in safari. Also, you know, I plan honeymoons for people also. Um, I've had uh, four or five, six now couples that I've helped out with uh, getting them their honeymoon. They want adventure honeymoons. And so I've, I've been able to steer them in the right direction for that also. Haven't done a wedding yet, but that, that, oh, that needs come. to happen. A wedding on Uhuru Peak, that needs to happen. Oh, uh, well, I've, I've seen it once. <laughs> I've seen a, um, a marriage on, at Uhuru Peak once in my life. And that was, uh, that was 18, 17 years ago. But I actually saw the priest up there with the two. And um, it, was, it was pretty amazing. How cool. Well, listen, it's a huge inspiration what you're doing. And, and this is the hero's journey. We go and we we do this thing and it's uh, it becomes a passion. And then we come back and we share our story with others. And this is exactly what you're doing. Like you're still living it, but it's amazing that you're able to share your story with other people and inspire and encourage people to do the same. And that's, uh, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do here with this podcast is just to encourage people to get outside. And I love uh, the way that you're doing it in terms of encouraging people to to get to Africa, um, which actually is another really good point. Like what is 
the travel like right now uh, for people that are thinking about maybe going to Tanzania and maybe wondering like, you know, should I, shouldn't I, is now a good time? Oh, I think we both know you should go. Um, now, don't forget, now the rainy season is getting ready to come up in Tanzania. So I, it's a little iffy. It's a, down, it's a low season coming up here. But I think for anybody who wants to get out and travel and go, just go. I mean, because it's been pent up for so long. And, and the, the, what we found at Springlands, as you well know, and, and is that people who get there really want to be there. I mean, they've been planning this for years and they were put off last year. And so they're going. Um, they're, they've got a real desire to climb Kilimanjaro, a real desire to go to Zanzibar, and a real desire to, to go to the Serengeti and see, and see all the wonders of, the, of Lake Manera and Terengiri and the Gorgor Crater. Yeah, I would echo that. I think, you know, make the plans, get on the plane and go. I completely agree. Macon, in 2002, you wrote a book called The Sons of Kilimanjaro. And then for those that are just listening, I'm holding it up here on the screen right now. But uh, this was kind of fun. I was in our mutual friend's store, Mr. Bill Barty's Jesse Brown store, and he had one copy left. And I said, "Get, give me that book. <laughs> and so I've got it here. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but uh, I, I started flipping through it and I saw that you wrote the book after your second climb. So I'm curious, now you're 46 climbs in, would the book change at all now that you've got uh, a substantial number of more climbs? Well, the the thing about the book that that you got, you got to remember, I wrote that book in 2002. Right. And um, looked at my first wife, Michelle, and I said, hey, listen, I think I'm going to write a book. There are no books about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And she goes, well, you need to write a book. And I said, well, I let me let me look at it. So two days later, three days later, remember the Dell computer box? Yeah. Uh, arrived in our at our doorstep and she goes there's your computer because there are no laptops at the time so uh there's your computer write your book and i did and um but again the, the whole book um became um came kind of um well i know i'm not going to ruin it for, for everybody i'll let them read the book okay but uh but yeah it's uh it became a uh foretelling uh part of my life after i wrote the book well, I'm excited. I read the the back cover says it's about four guys that go climb Kilimanjaro together. And that's exactly what I just did. So I'm looking forward to reading it. And so I'm um, super excited. How can people get a hold of the a copy of this book for themselves? Sons of Kilimanjaro, Amazon.com, S-O-N-S. Beautiful. Love it. So wrapping up here, Macon, I really appreciate everything. So um, for people that are you know, kind of getting that call to adventure and, but just maybe need a little bit of a nudge. What, what advice do you have for people right now regarding travel and just like overall, just kind of following your dreams and, and getting after that, that passion that, that they're maybe having some struggles um, pulling the trigger on. You know, you just have to go for it. I mean, you really, you just kind of like say, this is everything going on in the world right now. You can't let fear or the unknown get after you with with travel you've got to just go and do it and experience it you you're not going to get anything from sitting around just watching the news all day long you just got to absolutely get out and travel and go and 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 if you can bring somebody along with you and uh, go and experience everything that this really wonderful world has to offer yeah. And if I can just echo that, because I think a lot of this is, you know, c courage doesn't mean that you're not going to experience fear. Like the fear, the fear is still going to be there, but oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's choosing to go anyway. 
right in right. the face of it. I mean, I definitely right. experienced some of that, the uncertainty and there was some fear and, you know, but you just show up and you, like you said, you just trust your guides and you just follow the process. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, this was so good. Okay. So two questions that I always ask every guest. And then, so, uh, making you have had such a, a tremendous journey here and, and, you know, again, it started with just this, you know, going and climbing Kilimanjaro once you showed up, you had the courage and then all of these other amazing things that you probably never expected unfolded afterwards. They're going to make a movie about you someday. And I want to know who the Hollywood actor is going to be. That's going to play you in that movie. Well, he's my age and he's about my height. So I've got to go with Tom Cruise. I love it. Tom Cruise. Okay. And what's your movie going right. to be called? What's your movie going to be called? Uh, hopefully Sons of Kilimanjaro. There you go. So, and it's, I mean, it's already written. So here we go, right? It's written. It's ready to go. <laughs> and once you read the book, you'll see the whole, what, what all of it entails. There's a lot more to that book than just meets the eye. There's a lot of meat to it. And I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, Macon, thank you. This has been just an unbelievable conversation. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope that Macon's story has encouraged you to listen to that voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. And we'd also appreciate it if you could help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire on your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening and Macon, thank you so much for being here today. Scott, thank you.